as you heard from the children's sermon, and maybe you can see from the bulletin, uh, today's sermon will be about wise, being wise. Christians are to be wise. Uh, the book of James says, if anyone asks wisdom, if you lack wisdom, ask God. In Colossians, Paul exhorted Christians, teach and admonish one another with wisdom. Luke tells us Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. But what is wisdom more uh, defined better? What are the New Testament writers talking about? Well, usually a lot of times they're talking about something in the Old Testament. Uh, so the Old Testament, New Testament writers, when they use the word wisdom, it's related to the Old Testament. And there are several books in the Old Testament that talk about wisdom. And one of the main ones is the book of Proverbs, uh, as we're going to see. Job, Ecclesiastes would be wisdom books in the Old Testament. Now, the book of Proverbs, and I assume you think of a proverb, you know, a short little saying, stitch in time saves nine, apple a day takes, you know, keeps the doctor away. These little short sayings. Now, the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters long, of which, more or less, from chapter 10 on, are all these little short sayings. There's a few exceptions, but... And in the first nine chapters, even though there's a few short sayings in there, the first nine chapters, the goal of the first nine chapters is for the reader and for us to have the idea, hey, I ought to be wise. It's to give motivations of why you should try and have an increase in wisdom. So chapter one through nine are these longer poems with the goal, hey, you ought to want to be wise, hence read the second half of the book. And then the final chapter, chapter 9, which is the end of the first section, is what we are on. And as you're going to see, uh, chapter 9 is sort of the, the call, believer, be wise. Okay, so in your Bible, go to the book of Proverbs. So go to the book of Psalms. That's in the middle of the Bible. One book to the right is the book of Proverbs. And we're in chapter 9, which is basically an 18-verse long discussion. And what you know, it's 18 verses. It's split up into three sections. Uh, the first section is, as we're going to find out, Lady Wisdom. And she calls out and says, hey, believer, come over to my house and be wise. The final six verses are... Lady Folly, uh, she's not good, and she says, no, no, come over to my house. And then the middle section is a difference between a wise believer and a foolish believer. Uh, allow me to read the written word of God, all 18 verses. Again, first six, Lady Wisdom. Middle six, the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. And the final six is Lady Folly, the bad lady. The written word of God, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom, or Lady Wisdom, has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out a young woman to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. 
Come, eat my bread, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the ways of insight. And now the middle section, verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs iniquity. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Second half of eight. Reprove, or correct, a wise man, and he will love you. Give instructions to a wise man, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. And now the final six verses of Lady Folly. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of the city. She calls to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple... Let him turn in here, she says to the one who lacks sense. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there at her house, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, have us go to Lady Folly's house, or Lady, not to go to Lady Folly's house. Let us go to Lady Wisdom's house as we hear from your word. Be with us and speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's start at verse 10, which is basically the center uh, of the chapter, it's really the center of the whole book, uh, in one sense, the center, you could say, of the Bible, that's stretching it, but it's a center verse. Verse 10, look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. From a biblical perspective, the starting point of how to answer what is a wise person a wise person must know God or be a believer or be a Christian. The start of wisdom, properly understood, is the fear of the Lord or being a Christian. Uh, there's another famous book, the book of Job. If you want to turn there, go two books to the left. So Proverbs, Psalms, then you're in Job. Job chapter 28. Now Job is a very long book with a lot of the book is the wrong view where a gentlemen are talking to Job and they're giving him a variety of answers which are the wrong answers. They're not completely correct answers. And then chapter 28 is kind of a special chapter. That in the middle of all these wrong answers, it's almost a parenthesis and the writer gives the correct answer about wisdom and various other issues. So I'm at chapter 28. I'm going to start reading at verse 20. And this is sort of a big crescendo in the book. And the question is, where does wisdom come from? Verse 20, from where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. It's concealed from the birds of the air. 
uh, Abaddon and Death say, we've heard a rumor of it in our ears. God understands the way to it. God knows its place, for he looks to the end of the earth. He sees under th- everything under heaven. When he gave the wind its weight and apportioned the waters of the measure, when he made a decree for the rain, and when he made lightning and thunder, he saw it, he declared it, he established it, he searched it out, and he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. In the New Testament, this question of where does wisdom comes from And as uh, Jonathan read for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That ultimately wisdom is connected to being a believer, connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, back to Proverbs chapter 9. Now, okay, that's the starting point of wisdom. But there's a lot more to the biblical view of wisdom. It includes many additional aspects. If you read through the book of Proverbs and tried to add up all the little things that are wisdom, it would include what we would call knowledge. It would include craftsmanship, uh, a carpenter and how he can figure things out. It would include being, what we would say, being able to read people. That's an aspect of wisdom. It would include what we might call common sense. It would include controlling your tongue. Training children is an aspect of wisdom, etc. There's a whole bunch of angles in the book of Proverbs. Sometimes wisdom is portrayed as the difference between sinning and not sinning, but other times it's not that way. So controlling your tongue and not gossiping That's wise, and gossip would be sin. So that would be the difference between sinning and non-sinning. But being a good craftsman versus the guy who's not a good craftsman, that's not not the difference between sin and not sin. Or in my case, I can't sing very well. Uh, I'm supposed to sing, but I can't do it very well. So it's not like I'm sinning because I can't sing well. So certain things are sin versus not sin, controlling your tongue. Uh, Other things that are wise, a certain person's wise, is not the difference between sinning and not sinning. A good carpenter versus a not-so-good carpenter. So uh, another way to say it is wisdom involves sort of looking at all of God's world, looking through a God perspective, and sort of evaluating the world and trying to operate, exist, do things, interact in the world. Uh, a guy named John Calvin had a famous eyeglass analogy that the world looks confusing. You put on your Bible eyeglasses and it, it straightens it out. So you've got to be a believer to truly have biblical wisdom. Now, for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to use an analogy. I'm going to use an analogy that if you're a true believer, God has given you wisdom. There's a whole bunch of statements like that in the Bible, that all believers have some level of of wisdom, And my analogy is going to be, if you're a believer, you get, th- think of a sort of a chunk of a jewel, a big ruby or something. But it's, it's uh, not very well, doesn't have too many facets on it, and it's a little dirty, and it needs to be cleaned up. So every believer is given sort of this chunk of a jewel. It needs to be cleaned up, uh, and that's sort of our starting point. And different people have different kind of facets. Some people have a nice 
able to read people. Carpentership, oh, good at controlling their tongue. They got little facets on their jewel that maybe not everybody else has on their jewel. Now, non-Christians at some level could be good carpenters and all that, but they don't have the depth of understanding why am I being a good carpenter to love God and various other things. Now, in our text, Proverbs chapter 9, it uses one example of being wise. Again, there's a zillion in the book of Proverbs, but it wants to look at just one, one little facet to add to your little jewel. And that's verses 7 through 9. Let's look at 7 through 9. So I'm at Proverbs chapter 9, 7 through 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer, or bad guy, gets himself abuse. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Now the second half of eight. That's what we want to concentrate. Second half of eight. Reprove or correct a wise man and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he'll increase in learning. So what's our one little uh, facet of our jewel that this text is talking about? A wise man wants instruction. A foolish man does not want to be instructed. And in fact, second half of eight, correct a wise man and he'll love you. So how about us? Do we enjoy learning? And when I say learning, I don't necessarily mean book learning kind of thing, but uh, all kind of learning about God's world and interacting in it. Uh, Do we enjoy learning? Do we like being taught? And that's more specifically here. Do we like being taught? Say it another way. Are you teachable? Second half of verse 8. Does that relate to you? Correct a wise man, hopefully you, correct you, and you will love the person who corrected you. You got to be smarter or interact better in God's world. So assume, for sake of argument, that you're rebuked by your boss maybe at work or your sister calls you and tells you how to raise your kids. Maybe your boss or maybe your sister's not a Christian. Maybe they're not exactly right in what they're saying. What does a wise person do? A wise person might assume, well, maybe there's an element of truth. Maybe there's a lot of truth. But maybe there's an element of truth. Maybe I can learn something here. So view the rebuke through a sort of a Christian perspective. Learn something. Look at the second half of eight. Reprove a wise man or woman, and he, the wise man, will love you, the person that corrected them. When your sister calls you up and tells you how to raise your kids, and if she had a little kernel of truth to it, do you love her more? Or are you annoyed? Well, due to sin, sometimes we'll be annoyed, but uh, just think about it. If you really want to be wiser, Wouldn't you love the people that make you wiser and correct you? And of course, the writer of Proverbs knows that a lot of people don't like that. And so that's why he wrote it. But the second half of eight, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Children, teenagers, do you enjoy instruction from your parents? 
Well, hopefully most of the time you do. Uh, how about adults in the room from our older parents? Do we enjoy instruction? Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. At least in today's text, God is telling us, be teachable. Even from those, even if they have a bad motive, be teachable. You can learn things. Now, interestingly, verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser. He will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man increase in learning. Here, the text is telling us that we all can grow in wisdom, which is stating the obvious. Or to put it in my analogy, we can, no matter how old we are, we can add facets to our wisdom jewel as we go through life. We can always add more facets. Okay, now back to chapter 9. As I said before, the first six chapters are Lady Wisdom. The first six verses, Lady Wisdom. The last six verses are Lady Folly. And this is the fancy word of personification. You take the concept wisdom, and then you make it into a person. So there's a lady, the wise lady, and then there's folly, and actually she's a prostitute, uh, is Lady Folly. And it's the two ladies. Uh, And both ladies are calling out to you, come over to my house, my metaphorical house. Uh, Verse 1, 9-1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn it out of seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. So Lady Wisdom is doing work. She's working at her house. Uh, Lady Folly, by contrast, uh, is not. Verse 17, she steals the water that she presents to people. So here we see you got to work at being wise. But the most intriguing thing purposely done by the author is look at verse 4 and look at verse 16. 4 and 16. 4 is by Lady Wisdom, the good lady. 16 by the bad lady. And if you see in English and in Hebrew, it's the exact same thing. Let me read it. Doesn't matter which verse I read, 4 or 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense She says, so they're both calling out, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, they're calling out the same thing. Come over to my house. They're calling to you. Now, what's the point? The point is, Lady Folly, the world, in the negative sense, does not call out and say, hey, I'm stupid come to my house. I'm going to ruin your life. Come to my house. No, she says, I'm the smart one. This is how you should live. They both say the same thing. Now, of course, there's exceptions where some people will say, yeah, come over here and ruin your life. Uh, But they rarely say that explicitly. You have to be wise to know the difference. Both are calling you with the same thing. The Christian minister is telling you, hey, life is all about Christ and all the implications. But the secular world saying, hey, come over here. This is what life is really about. 
you'll have a better life over here. They're saying, in one sense, the same thing. In another sense, they're not. But here, it can sound the same. Teenagers in the room, young adults, you're hearing at one level, the world isn't saying, I'm stupid. The world is saying, hey, if you want the best life, come over to my house. We just need to be aware, and the text is telling us, the call's going to sound the same. The wise person has to choose the correct house. So, of course, uh, the writer of Proverbs wants you to go to the correct house, and hence then read the rest of the book is what the, uh, the point is there. Now, the book of Proverbs is a little unusual. I don't know if you sort of know that. I assume you do. So I thought I'd have a little kind of Bob's tips for reading Proverbs. So that's going to be our little section here. Bob's tips for reading Proverbs. Now, uh, the original reader here and original writer uh, understood uh, that this is what we call wisdom literature these are proverbs. What is a proverb? A proverb's a general truth. It's not an absolute truth. A proverb is generally true. And in fact, in both Greek and Hebrew, the word proverb and the word parable are very similar words. Uh, a prov- they're both kind of two levels of meaning or generally true. These aren't absolutely true. When you read a proverb, here's tip number one, Say, how is this proverb generally true? There's going to be exceptions. But how is the proverb generally true? And what can I learn from it? How is the proverb generally true? And what can I learn from it? It's a proverb. Uh, You know, somehow if I say the word parable, everybody in the room knows, oh, okay, it's not a true story. But somehow you read the proverbs in the Bible... And you're like, oh, there's no exceptions to those. Uh, But they're a proverb. Imagine you were in the crowd listening to Jesus uh, as he's giving the Good Samaritan parable. So you're in the crowd, you're with your buddy, and Jesus is up there, and he's going through the Good Samaritan parable. And your buddy goes to you, well, did that happen on a Tuesday? Uh, And you're like, well, what's the priest's name that he's talking about? You're like, you say to the guy, it's a parable. Be quiet. You know, it's a parable. Okay, so when you read a proverb, it's a proverb. A proverb is a proverb. It's the title of the book. Uh, okay, read a proverb. But even because you don't believe me, that speech, go to chapter 26. So go in the Proverbs, and we're trying to prove Proverbs are generally true. And what can you learn about it? Okay, go to chapter 26, 4 and 5. These are two famous Proverbs purposely put right next to each other. I'm reading verse 4, so I'm at 26, 4, Proverbs. Answer not a fool according to his folly. So in other words, uh, don't answer the fool. Someone says something that's so wacko, don't answer it. But then look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. And if you look at the Hebrew, you look at the English, there's the, the only difference is the one has a not. So it's do X, don't do X. 
They're put purposely right next to each other. And of course, what you're supposed to figure out is in what situations do I answer the fool and in what situations do I not answer the fool? The point being, the Proverbs are generally true. You've got to figure out how they apply. Uh, let's go through an example. Let's go to Proverbs 15.22. How is this proverb generally true? Now, when we say, and before I get this, you're turning there, when we say, I take the Bible literally, and I say that all the time, meaning I take the Bible as the literature, literally, literature intended. If it's a parable, it's intended as a parable. If it's a proverb, it's intended as a proverb. So these are proverbs, so we take them as proverbs. That's taking the Bible literally as the literature intended. Okay, so if we go to chapter 15, verse 22, just, I could have picked a zillion of these here. Uh, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So what can we learn from it? In many situations in life, having multiple people advise you is a good thing. And there's several uh, proverbs to that effect. However, go to 1824. This is sort of the opposite. 1824. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's other situations that having multiple buddies actually can get you down the wrong road. And again, your brain could figure that out. There's sometimes being part of a group is a problem. Uh, And other times, having a group help you in a scenario is very useful. Or how about um, another example? Go to 1321. And here we're showing some opposites. 1321. Here it's about money, basically, and, and being prosperous, materially prosperous. 13, if I said that, 1321. Disaster, it really means monetary or material disaster, pursues the sinner, but the righteous are rewarded with good, meaning good things. So there, if you're righteous, you have good business practices, you know, generally, you know, that's good for you materially. But the opposite is also there. Go to 16.8. However, there's other scenarios in life, 16.8. Better a little, meaning material stuff, better a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. There are other scenarios that cheating at business practices, you win and get more money. So it's admitting both are there. You know, you have to say, how is this generally true? How does it apply? Another angle to the Proverbs is that some are intentionally funny. You're supposed to laugh when you read it. Let's look at a couple of those, and we'll see if you're going to laugh. Uh, 2213. 
There's a bunch of proverbs about being lazy, or to use the fancier word as sluggard. Uh, 22.13, the sluggard says, oh, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed if I go in the streets. In other words, I can't go outside and work because eh, I could get hit by a car. Uh, or here, yeah, a lion could theoretically come and kill me. Well, yeah, theoretically it could. But the, the, don't do that. How about 21.19? Okay, just look at the first half. Don't, don't ruin the joke by looking at the second half of the proverb. Look, just listen to me. 21.19. Yeah, 21.19. It is better to live in a desert... What is so bad that you would rather live in a desert? Answer, second half. Then with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Uh, yeah, my wife's not here, so I could use that one. Uh, okay. What that's saying, if you're not married yet, hey, and there's a lot of, she may... The spouse may look good on the outside, but if their personality is annoying, you know, you, you know, you may wish you were in a desert. Uh, now, if you're already married and you're the annoying spouse, think about what you're doing to your spouse, right? Of course, the proverb doesn't mean if your spouse is annoying, leave her and go to the desert. Right? It's a proverb, right? We, I assume we understand that. Okay, a similar one. And again, my wife's not here, so I can do these. Uh, 11.22. And again, just look at the first part. Like a gold ring. A gold ring is something very beautiful and positive. In a pig's snout, which is something very ugly. So what is something that's like very beautiful attached to something very ugly? Answer, second half, uh, is a beautiful woman without discretion. So she's beautiful, the gold ring, but the without discretion, the pig's snout. So, you know, it's trying to make it funny, rememberable, uh, those kind of things. Or maybe one more. How about 1722? Or 1712, excuse me. Let a man meet a she-bear, and again, in that culture, in the cities, they didn't have lions and bears, but they didn't have to go too far out into the wilderness, you know, and they were occasionally meeting live animals, and if you don't have guns, you can imagine the, uh, that's a little scary proposition there. Okay, another proverb. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs. You'd rather do that than a fool in his folly, that some people can ruin your life more quickly, other people doing foolish stuff relative to you, than meeting a wild animal and a bear who's just lost their cubs, which um, you know, are pretty ferocious. Conclusion.
at least from chapter 9, was get into the mindset, be teachable. Learn from your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends about God's world. Learn about God's world. A wise man, our text told us, is a learning man. And again, I'm not talking about going to school, although that's useful too. Uh, A wise man is a learning man. I might suggest, you know, this week with your family, just take from basically chapter 10 on and read a couple proverbs with your spouse or even your kids and try and see if they can figure them out. Uh, Just read a couple. And then ask the question, how is this generally true? Okay, there's going to be exceptions. How is this generally true? And what can I learn from it? I remember when I, we did this, our daughter's now 37, but when she was nine, uh, we did this with the book of Proverbs, and it was some of the most fun um, you know, family uh, worship time to see her mind try and figure them out. You know, and some of them are actually a little complicated, but uh, she couldn't get all of them, but uh, it can be enjoyable. Remember, a couple of her friends were over one time, and so we had our little family devotion, and that was kind of fun, seeing the, the friends in the neighborhood try and figure out these little proverbs. They're meant to have some level of enjoyment about them. At the surface level, you figure it out, and then there could be you know, some seriousness about what they're saying uh, when you read them. Uh, enjoy all the Bible, but enjoy the book of Proverbs. As I said before, the whole Bible assumes to be biblically wise, one needs to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he accomplished your salvation. You didn't do it. He did it. Put your faith in Christ. And he's the ultimate uh, wisdom, as the text says. So, we're all Christians. If you're a Christian, you've been given, in my analogy, a jewel. Everybody has different facets on the jewel, different parts of the jewel are a little brighter and been rubbed up better. Uh, So let's add some facets to our jewel. Or to say it in the Bible's way, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are both saying, come over to my wise house. Which house are you going to go to? Are you going to listen to Lady Wisdom? Or are you going to listen to evil Lady Folly? May the Lord guide you to the correct house. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for all the wisdom there is in this room, if you think about it, how many wise things this congregation knows, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the jewel of wisdom that they've all been given. May you increase our wisdom today and throughout uh, eternity. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.